Hello everyone, welcome back to Jazz Talk Seattle. This is the October episode and my name is Max Holmberg and I'm here with Josh Howe. And uh, as a reminder to everybody, uh, we have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Seattle. Go and check that out for news about when new episodes are coming out. And you can listen to us, if you're not already, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're on every podcast All platform things, that I can yeah. think of. And if we're not on one of them and you really want it to be, let us know. And then I'll try to do something about it. Yeah, shoot us a message. Cool. So today we have in the studio with us a very special guest, uh, saxophonist, composer, clarinet player. What else do you do? Jacob Zimmerman. <laughs> Thank you for having me. What else do I do? I guess I'm an arranger as well as a composer, saxophonist, clarinetist. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You play some piano too, right? I'm an aspiring pianist. Yeah. I play <laughs> do you a lot gig of gig on piano too? Um, I I have a Wednesday night gig uh, at the Pink Door restaurant mm -hmm. in uh, Pike Place Market, and I do occasionally play the piano uh, on that gig, but maybe just like one or two songs in evening. Very awesome. little, you know. That's I'm, pretty cool. I'm working on it. Well, there's more stuff that I got to say as glowing reviews of Jacob Zimmerman and inter introduction because I wrote it down and I feel. I'd feel remiss if I didn't say it. Well, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you went to uh, you went to New England Conservative Music, is that right? And yep. then Mills College afterwards. Yeah. And also won the 2013 Emerging Artist of the Year from Earshot. That's mm -hmm. pretty fancy. <laughs> and uh, you're here uh, to talk about your new record, right? That's right. Yeah. So tell us about it, Jacob. Well, I wanted to uh, make an album of music for swing dancing because. Uh, I moved back to Seattle in 2012 and almost instantly got uh, immersed in this whole community of uh, musicians uh, and dancers that are doing swing era music. And uh, I just thought that, you know, that would be uh, a good audience for me uh, to try to tap into, make a new CD. Cool. Very cool. So I'm going to ask a question. Um comes from a, uh, a drum application I was recently viewing um, for a New York jazz institution. But basically, I was looking at um, all these different kinds of, of jazz from the past, and there are quite a few um, different yeah. subgenres. <laughs> and Endless. most people really only know um, older jazz as maybe being trad jazz or maybe swing or even big band jazz or something. But uh, what would you call this record? Maybe the kind of music that you're playing on it. Oh, uh, I don't necessarily know if I can, you know, coin a term for the music that we're playing. It's definitely swing music, and uh, it's definitely specifically tailored to uh, the musicians that are uh, on the recording. Right. Uh, namely, you know, one of the big uh, driving forces with... Um, my band is uh, the input I get from this piano player, Ray Shellbread, who's in his 70s and is like a real amazing, legendary guy, an elder statesman. And uh, just to put it shortly, like, you know, he's really um, uh, passionate about jazz from the 20s. And he actually uh, knew um, intimately his like musical heroes like he knew earl hines jess stacy joe sullivan uh 
Art Hodes, like these great legendary jazz piano players. He was like very friendly with them and mm-hmm. had personal encounters with them. So Ray Shelbert is a very special presence in the band, and uh, he's kind of like who I think about first when I um, want to, you know, introduce a new song and just like want to do something that defines the style of the music that we're playing. Uh, I want to find ways that feature his unique strengths as a musician. So tell me a little bit about that. How um, or in what way does his playing or his presence affect what you write or what you bring to the band? Well, uh, one very concrete thing is that Ray just always thinks of songs that he wants to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it because he has been, you know, playing and learning tunes and he's still learning new tunes and everything. He's just like me. He's always looking out for different things. And uh, every time I see him, he will just say, hey, I think, you know, do you know this song called I Want to Count Sheep Till the Cows Come Home? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no one knows that song. And he's like, well, I think it's a good one. You go check it out. We could do it, you know. So, yeah, every week there's something new like that that he wants He's a to historian add. as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm also glad you uh, pronounced his last name for me. I was I was going to ask. I've never met met him. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Shell? Norwegian name Shellbread. Okay, cool. And for anyone curious, that is S K J E L B R E D. Very cool. Yeah. So I was going to ask a little more about the personnel on the record. Um, I noticed you have quite a. It changes up quite a bit from song yeah. to song. Some songs you have drums. Some you don't. You have three different guitarists. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> and and then on the last tune as well, uh, probably the most unique voice I think I might have ever heard. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that is the voice of Meredith Axelrod. Right. Which I've, I've heard of and I've... Tell us more about who, who she is. Meredith is my friend that lives in uh, San Francisco. And um, she uh, is uh, just an amazing performer of early 20th century American music. She's not just a jazz uh, vocalist. She does lots of kind of uh, blues things and folk things. Uh, She tours with this guy named Frank Fairfield, who uh, amongst the like kind of world of people that do turn of the century music he's like a big deal uh she also performs with this guy jim queskin who's like a legendary uh jug band and blues revivalist who Hmm. uh, was really big in the 60s so um i think that meredith is so fun to play with because uh just like ray actually she's got a really diverse repertoire even though it's all kind of focused within the, like, I would say probably 1900 to, you know, maybe late 20s or something. That's kind of where her specialty is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be a little bit of almost yodeling yes. in there a little bit. Yep. I yeah, would... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, she does all kinds of cool stuff for their voice. Um, one thing that uh, we made some videos where she does this, but uh, it's not on the album, but she's also a really good uh, like trumpet impersonator. She does Whoa. this thing with her voice where she sounds like a trumpet, and she can improvise and take like solos, and, you know, oftentimes she sounds, she plays better solos than most trumpet players with their little trumpet mouth you know <laughs> it's great yeah it's so cool 
Wow. Well, okay. I'll keep going. Um, I noticed a quote about the record, and I don't have the full quote in front of me, but it was basically something to the effect of the ambiance of the record that you're trying to kind of recreate um, is basically uh, Deep Minton's 1941 uh, Keynote Records and then Savoy Records Sessions. Yeah. Kind of the combination of all of those three things. Yeah. And uh, those are three very historical heavy jazz uh giant pieces of history yeah Uh, landmark things yeah yeah i know what you Um, mean talk a a little more about that i'm curious and and, oh and also said uh the kind of the what was it cuddling of bop and swing at the same (laughs) time yeah yeah. that's that's like a that's a very basic way to say to say that that was a reviewer michael steinman who wrote that about the music okay yeah uh and admittedly like you know i'm not that much of a historian i mean minton's was the place where like bebop supposedly was uh you know developed and everything with charlie christian and monk and those people they would have those sessions and yeah right late you know yeah after hours jam sessions in minton's in harlem but anyway uh yeah but when he he sums it up he basically says this like um in between area between swing and bebop and uh, when I moved back to Seattle in 2012, I was like on a real bebop kick. And that was kind of for me getting back to my roots because I'm like most saxophone players. When I started out, I wanted to play Charlie Parker tunes and do the, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Uh, so when I moved back to Seattle, I got really heavy into bebop. And uh, I got interested in specifically like the very earliest bebop recordings. Uh, and I found out that uh, between it was like 42 and 44 or something, those guys were playing, but they weren't recorded because there was this recording band. So that was the whole subject of this other CD that I just did a couple years ago. Um, Which is also a very good record. Thank you. So I, I, I'm very interested in uh, that music because I, I started to realize that, you know, I've been listening to jazz uh my whole life and I went to you know school for jazz and I was exposed to a lot of different things but I just realized I never really spent time listening to musicians like Don Bias and Chewberry uh and the alto saxophonist um Pete Brown is one and there's just tons of musicians who kind of uh were parts of both of those scenes uh, swing era mm. in the 30s and then playing with bebop people later in the 40s. Lucky Thompson is another one. Oh, yeah. So that's just kind of um, been a general area of interest. And then I put together these uh, books uh, for doing swing dances and uh, I kind of have to like find my own way into. Uh, that world of music that the that the dancers want because I don't want to just do like uh, you know generic sounding like Benny Goodman stuff or Glenn Miller stuff you know I really want to do stuff that still has like some kind of harmonic spice uh, <laughs> you know or just just I don't know like 
what I'm just I'm just looking for like musical things within right. the world of music that can be danced to that's good for dancing and everything. So that's led me into all this stuff that's like in the cracks, I think. Like another person is um Henry Red Allen, who is like kind of a protege of Louis Armstrong. And he made a bunch of records in the thirties and that's just like a gold mine. All these like obscure pop tunes uh, like, um, pardon my Southern accent. That's one that I really like or smooth sailing. And you listen to it and it's got like all these different, um, mixes of things like stuff that you would identify with like twenties, new Orleans style jazz, but then also stuff that you'd identify with like bebop and stuff that you'd, you know, think was like swing and, I love that stuff that's just not easily in the box of bebop swing or, you know, trad jazz. Of course, that's especially interesting because that's kind of the time that jazz was transitioning maybe between uh, being like a, a popular dance music and more of a an art music almost, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a really interesting time. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a particular track on the record that you feel demonstrates that? It straddles, or I guess the whole record does, but um, yeah, one you want to share with us right now? Yeah, uh, I have an original tune that I wrote. Um, it's called Sculptosphere. It's based on the Gershwin tune, Nice Work If You Can Get It. And actually, I do think that it um, fits into that because uh, the idea for the song was what if Lester Young and Thelonious Monk, two of my biggest heroes, wrote a tune together? Whoa! <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh man, <laughs> jinx yeah, so on the air. Right. There's there's a there's a little bit of you know like different kinds of ingredients that would come from each one of those people. That was kind of what inspired me. So that's Sculptosphere, the tune. And for those who don't know, Thelonious Monk is one of the most eccentric. Uh, well, how would you describe those two people and their playing styles? Just for people who don't know, maybe. Oh yeah, the the two of them are two of the most like uh, individual. Uh, one of a kind, you know, like if uh, Ray Shelbert actually said this to me, I think it's so true. It's like if Thelonious Monk hadn't been born, would there have been somebody else that would have done anything like what he did? No, you know, I don't think so. Probably not. No, it's amazing. <laughs> Those two are also kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how they chose to play notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow, that's, that's cool. <laughs> what an interesting concept for a song. I like to what? think that they would have sounded great together. You know? Oh, I think so. There, there was uh, a um, a brief time where they were in a little working band on 52nd Street together with Dizzy Gillespie and Oscar Pettiford. I think, hmm. yeah. But it was never recorded, you know. No drums? Um, who was the drummer? I'll look it up. I have like an old... Um, uh, like a jazz magazine from like 1944 or something that just lists in it like, yeah, go down to the Onyx Club and you can hear Lester Young, Thelonious Monk, Dizzy oh, Gillespie, man. Oscar Pettiford. They've got the new band, you know. Yeah, well, if anyone has a recording of that, send us a message. <laughs> I know. That would be that would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can't listen to a recording of that right now. But for now, why don't we listen to uh, Jacob Zimmerman's Sculptosphere? Is that right? That's right. All right. Here goes. Thank you. 
was great <laughs> that was I, great that i it's really interesting max was just talking about as we were listening that it's really interesting to listen to this track after hearing uh the background behind why you wrote it or what cool. the impetus behind it and yeah. i can really hear the influences that you're talking about so that that's really really cool uh who's the trombone player on, on this i really that's, like the solo yeah christian pincock and he's playing a valve trombone oh cool yeah and he takes a great solo. And Ray Shelbred takes a whole chorus, too. Mm-hmm. And Ray sounds amazing on this one, too. Definitely. And I know that Ray actually, he said this is the solo on the album that he's most proud of. It's great. Cool. It's a good solo. Yeah. Uh, who else is on this uh, playing bass and drums? Yeah, the and uh, drummer, uh, Devon Lewis, mm-hmm. and uh, Matt Weiner is playing bass. Cool. And um, Josh Roberts cool. uh, plays rhythm guitar mostly. He does take some solos. Mm-hmm. And then Cole Schuster is playing electric guitar cool. on a few tunes. Um, and then, yeah, Meredith Axelrod is on one song. I think that's, that's really everybody. Cool. How did you decide um, which songs you were going to have which guitar player on and, and which ones you would have drums or no drums on? Well, um, I... Uh, uh, I think I probably based my decisions off of uh, who was most familiar with, you know, particular tunes um, hmm. because we didn't rehearse uh, for this at all. Uh, this is all just stuff that we've played on gigs. Um, 
And I guess I just had it in my mind, like, you know, whoever was going to be most comfortable with certain tune or whatever. That's Mm. probably how I decided, you know. Gigs are a form of rehearsal. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. That's cool. So uh, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And I know on this record, you play some clarinet and some you play saxophone. Yeah. And if I remember right, clarinet is a relatively, it's not recent, but relatively recent in your musical career as, as a thing that you've been playing a ton of, right? Yes. Yeah. When and how did you pick up the clarinet and how was that um, transition for you? Well, uh I realized when I moved back to Seattle that for the gigs that I wanted to do, I was going to have to be able to play the clarinet. And um, I am one of those saxophone players who heard from other saxophone players and other people and just believed the fact that it was too hard to learn to play the clarinet if you didn't grow up doing it. And I was very discouraged. Not that I really, you know, my whole life had this like strong urge to play the clarinet, but, you know, all like mostly what I heard was discouraging, you know, things from people like, oh, it's just too hard. So I finally just was like, I'm going to do it. And uh, one of the encouraging things that happened is uh, I got called for a gig with Casey McGill. Mm -hmm. It's a great singer, uh, piano player, ukulele player, uh, you know, one of my mentors in Seattle. I've learned a lot from him. And I really wanted to play with Casey. And he, I remember he called me and he had a big band gig and he asked me if I played the clarinet. And this was like that classic moment where, you know, I had been practicing the clarinet. I was like really working on it. And he was like, how's your clarinet? You know? And I just said, yeah, it's good. I can do it. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And I was in way over my head. And, you know, I'm sure that that was like no surprise to him because uh he always you know his whole life he's been you know trying to find saxophone players that double on clarinet and i'm you know it's just getting rarer and rarer Mm -hmm. uh to find saxophone players that really play good clarinet so uh i'm really lucky that uh casey stuck with me for a while uh and you know I mean, I still don't feel that comfortable on the clarinet, honestly, but I'm, you know, always getting better at it and working on it a lot. And uh, I was really fortunate to have that real, like, scary experience of, like, having to play it uh, repeatedly on gigs uh, because that was, I think, the only way that uh, I was going to get better was to have that motivation. For sure. Do you spend and what you say equal amount of time practicing both of them or how do you balance your practice routine between two fairly related but fairly different instruments yeah i don't really have that figured out um yet it's that's on my mind all the time uh i generally do think i need to spend the most time on the clarinet mm-hmm. it's the least forgiving um but I have this whole mess now that I want to play piano and I'm trying to find time to practice the <laughs> piano. And, you know, some people seem to just be able to pick up the saxophone and, you know, dust it off and have no problem. But actually, for me, it's not that easy. So I still have to practice the saxophone, too. Uh, instruments take a lot of maintaining. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you just pick up a clarinet? 
Uh, I own a clarinet. <laughs> I, believe that, I believe there's a photo of you with a clarinet. There is a photo of me with a clarinet. I can play one scale and pretty badly, and that's about it. I'm not going to make any claims to being able to play that I guess I, there's a photo of me with a trumpet, so I can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. That's all I'll say. I'll say you know, don't let anyone tell you it's too hard. For sure. Anybody can do it. It's not, not impossible. So I'm really curious. This is something that I've been uh, a conversation that I've been trying to have with more and more musicians as time goes on. What does your practice routine look like uh, in terms of saxophone or clarinet or piano, just any of the above? Like what what are the kinds of things that you're working on these days? That's very interesting. Yeah, uh, I uh, it's changed because I uh, gig a lot more. That now than I was a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the challenges with practicing is actually not practicing uh, too much, so that you know either I'm like physically or mentally tired when I get to a gig, or I'm I'm sure you guys all have had that experience where like you don't practice for maybe like a couple days or something mm-hmm. and then you pick up your instrument and maybe you're a little rusty but you also just feel fresh and like creative and inspired yeah they can slow down but the brain speeds up it uh, feels like <laughs> yeah so that's like something that i like to uh indulge in and <laughs> you know i i i i recognize that if i practice too much that when i get to the gig uh i won't necessarily be as inspired or sure uh but it's such a temperamental thing i'm i'm thinking about it all the time and i i was just you know watching some youtube videos with legendary jazz musicians talking about this very same thing you know it's Mm -hmm. like it's still uh not a science for me i don't necessarily feel like i have it figured out do you have a regular routine or warm-ups or things that you go through or not really uh I I usually just like uh have to find reads mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm struggling with right now but um I would say like as a warm up um I usually just try to start by playing uh maybe like a a ballad or something or some some new tune the melody of a new tune that I'm trying to work on and just play sure. you know play a melody mm-hmm. uh but I, and I also do like some fingering exercises sometimes and cool. scales and I don't know. I mean, and I, I try to like, uh, play along with records, like not Jamie Abersalds. I don't like those, but I just like <laughs> actually just put on like records that I like and okay. I play along with those. I think that's an awesome way to practice. That's the way that Ben Webster practiced, you sure. know? Have you seen this film no, of Ben I Webster? He's, so, he's like in his apartment in Europe somewhere, and he's got no shoes on, and he's drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette, and then he puts on a Fats Waller record. Hmm. And this is like probably 60-something, you know? Mm-hmm. And he puts on a Fats Waller record from like the 30s. And then he sits down, and he's, like, looking out the window. He seems really distracted, but he's there with his saxophone. Mm -hmm. And he's just casually playing along with this record. He's Mm. practicing. And he doesn't look like he's working or doing anything, except that he sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And the stuff that he's playing along with this Fats Waller record is incredible. And probably that was a... If I had to guess, it was a record that he knew really well. Sure. And had just, like, played along with 
a lot. So he kind of knew, mm-hmm. you know, how he could like fit into it because yeah. he's sort of he's playing like an acapella behind Fats Waller's piano playing and his singing, okay. you know. Anyway, it's just like amazing how good it sounds. And also like uh, I think if you're if you're not somebody who has like three or four hours to devote to all kinds of uh, technical studies and, you know, practicing and stuff like that. I think if you have 10 minutes to practice mm-hmm. that putting on a record and playing along with it is probably the most economical yeah, thing to do, for sure. you know, what kinds of things are you playing when you're playing along with a record? Do you try to take a solo over somebody else's solo or you do you compliment them or how do you view yourself in that group? Usually I'm kind of just like floating around and listening and maybe I'll hear a phrase that I like and I'll, maybe I'll try to like echo it. And sometimes I'll stop the record if I really, you know, hear something. But I also kind of just like, I like to do that with tunes that I don't know or that I've never heard before mm-hmm. and kind of just see like if I can test my ears to like recognize what uh, the chords are, sure. you know, quickly that's a that's a practical thing I have to do on gigs all the time is like play sure. tunes that I've never even heard before mm-hmm. and just try to pick it up as quickly as possible. Oh, so yeah. that helps with that. So the value in that is is not just playing but also listening. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's like ear training, you know, as, as they call it in school. Yeah. <laughs> so what else are you working on? You have your own groups, you have you're playing as a sideman with Casey McGill and it sounds like a few other things. What else what else do you have going on? Um, I also have, uh, a, a trio that I'm, uh, we, we've actually been recording, uh, recently. It's with a little subset of the group that's on the CD we're talking about, uh, myself, Cole Schuster on guitar and Matt Weiner playing bass. And we play every Tuesday night at, uh, this restaurant, Il Bistro in the Pike Place Market, nine to midnight. And, uh, I am investing a lot in getting arrangements and uh you know repertoire for that group trying to like define uh what it is that the three of us do best together because we're kind of an interesting i mean cole and i are like younger although cole's younger than me and he's coming from slightly different stylistic background and matt is like older and knows a lot more about uh all kinds of like older music and stuff he's like a great um very percussive bass player he slaps and everything plays gut strings and stuff like that so i think the 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 frame of reference for us is the jimmy jufri trio that he had with um uh, ralph pena playing bass and jim hall playing guitar i try to find new material that we can kind of do that channels the spirit of that group very cool. Do you have a name for this trio configuration? Well, yeah, J- uh, the Jacob Zimmerman Three is cool. what we call ourselves currently, and that's because the Jimmy Jufri Trio was the Jimmy Jufri Three. Got it. Yeah. Is that also the group that you have playing at, at Egan's every month? At Egan's, it's um, Nate Parker on bass, Cole Schuster on guitar, and Tony Foster on piano. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's kind of a different thing as well. That's more of like a songbook thing where. I do these really elaborate arrangements uh, that include, like, you know, the verses uh, to songs and do Mm -hmm. much more, like, obscure things that are very songwriter 
uh, oriented. Like we did a whole thing of Rogers and Hart music, Hoagie Carmichael, Walter mm-hmm. Donaldson. Uh, that's kind of the focus with that. Well, that's a lot of groups to be writing and arranging and balancing recording for. Uh, how yeah. how do you carve up time and make sure that all of those things are moving forward all at the same time? Uh, it's it's just like a never never ending thing. So. I don't necessarily ever feel like I'm on top of it or that I've done everything I want to do. Um, but uh, I love it because uh, I get to do all the different things that I want to do. And each group is specifically uh, well suited to, you know, certain kinds of things. So like when I'm playing swing dances, I don't get to play rubato. I don't get to play waltzes. Uh, so that's, one of the focused things that I do at Il Bistro. It's like I'm always looking for old waltzes cool. uh, and stuff like that. So it seems like a lot of what you do is um, maybe based in older music. Yeah. What draws you to that instead of maybe newer music? Well, um, I think uh, I've always been interested in songs and playing songs, interpreting songs. Um, I don't really think of myself that much as a composer. Like all the things on my CD that I composed are actually just my own little uh, arrangements of older tunes or contrafax or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them. And um, I think uh, somehow like it just feels right for me to be interpreting uh, old songs because it has a lot of uh, layers and depth to it. Like, I love playing a melody and knowing what the words are. Yeah. It's it's really funny to me, actually, when people write uh, lyrical melodies that don't have words. Like, <laughs> that's sort of like, it's missing something. Backwards? Or just like, yeah, it's like if I if I know that it doesn't have words, like it's, I don't know, that's a weird pet peeve. I mean, of course, there are beautiful melodies that don't have words, but somehow that's like something that doesn't always feel right for me. Or like mm-hmm. another thing is <laughs> when, you know, in like Charlie Parker tunes, like most of them, he rarely ever composed anything for the bridge of the song. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's just like, you know, play whatever, like improvise, probably because Charlie Parker was just in a hurry and, you know, didn't take the time to like compose anything over the chords though. Usually. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the not, th- not quite anything. Well, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there'll be like a, you know, set of chords, but like to me, that's very different. Like improvising just from, uh, some harmony as opposed to like improvising based off of a melody with harmony that has words and like meaning and you know all kinds of historical you know connotations and stuff like that and there's something about like every time i get to the bridge to scrapple from the apple or you know any of those like charlie parker tunes i'm just not like as inspired Hmm. it's a funny it's just my own little like pet peeve like somehow i like to have all those layers intact from an old song you know i that's get, very cool. I have one me. one last question mm-hmm. for you. Um, 
I've noticed that you usually tend to be one of the best dressed jazz musicians around Seattle. <laughs> what are your thoughts on um, appearance on stage? Oh, I don't really have much thought to that. <laughs> Honestly, um, uh, it's just it's just one thing that is like part of the culture of playing for these like swing dances and stuff. And, you know, Casey Miguel is someone who oh, yeah. does have like some <laughs> uh, sartorial interests and, you know, he's got great taste when it comes to that. But do you, do you know um, Mike Davis? Did you go to high school with Mike Davis? Yes, of course. <laughs> so he, he is like an example of what I am not. And I think Mike is so awesome. Like he's one of my favorite musicians and everything. And he is also like one of my favorite dressers. That guy is If you like want to see snappy. some pretty incredible dressing, look up <laughs> Michael Davis on Instagram. I forget yeah. exactly what his tag is, but <laughs> Yeah, I think that's great. And, and a great trumpet player too. Right, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, for him, like the 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 dress and like the style of music that he plays, they go hand in hand. And for me, that doesn't necessarily I'm I think I'm mostly just like into playing music and yeah, I'm not particularly passionate about the clothes that I'm wearing, honestly, but I do need to get, go shopping. I, well, do. I see more of it in the, tra- in the trad scene than in the other rest of the jazz world, I guess. That's why I asked. It's interesting. That's, that's true. Yeah. It's just the cultural thing. It's not even yeah. really like a dress code thing. It's just kind of like, well, everybody's wearing a suit, so I might as well be wearing a suit, you know, and a top hat. <laughs> yeah i don't have one of those <laughs> bow tie but, <laughs> do you have a top hat max i do have a top hat do you play drums in a top hat i've never actually played drums in the top hat but you i do own one yeah. it was my great great grandfather's i think Whoa. yeah oh wow awesome that's, that's pretty cool, cool. nice mm-hmm. yeah yeah if you ever get married the top hat that would be awesome to get married in a top hat i think well, now we're getting a little <laughs> off topic here, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's rein us in. I think we're getting pretty close on time. Uh, Jacob, do you want to tell us about uh, what where you're playing in the next month or so for for the month of October? Yeah, uh, every Tuesday at El Bistro, mm-hmm. uh, and every Wednesday uh, I'm also at the Pink Door. Cool. And uh, on October fourth which is the first Thursday of October, I'll be at Egan's Ballard Jam House. And uh, that'll be, uh, you know, a celebration of the release of the CD. We'll be playing tunes from the CD. And are uh, you going to play First Thursday, uh, the song on yes, your record? absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's a song on the record, yeah. Called First Thursday, because I play every First Thursday at Egan's Ballard Jam House. Very cool. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Jacob, for hanging out with us. Thank you. We really enjoyed yeah, this. Yeah, thank you so much. And for all you listeners, don't forget, we're on Facebook. Yeah, give us a like on Facebook. Look us up at Jazz Talk Seattle. Listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Leave us a review if you feel like it. It really helps. Yeah, tell your friends. You know, if anyone wants to advertise with us, let let us know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's all we got time for. And we'll see you again next month.